0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Matthew 13, if you will. Matthew 13. Uh, I started something last week. Don't you love it when your pastor starts something? That's what I do. I just open up cans. I, I rattle stuff. I start stuff, amen, Matthew 13, and I'm not going to give a full recap of last week, but we were journeying on this thought that even though we can all be under the same word and all in the same environment where the word is ministered, the word is given, the word is is spoken, as we see here in Matthew chapter 13 with the parable of the sower, That a sower went out to sow seed and landed on four different environments, four different kinds of soil. You know, all across this room, as full as it is, there's all kinds of different soil in this room. Your heart is soil this morning. Your heart is is a a, uh, bed where I can deposit a word today. That's what's happening today. Words are being deposited. Words are being spoken. But the container, that soil, your heart this morning is what determines the results, is what determines what happens from that word that is spoken. Matthew chapter 13, we had seed that's sown on the wayside, seed that's sown on on thorny ground, seed that's sown on stony ground, and then seed that's sown on good ground. And we know out of all those four different environments, the one that produced the harvest, yielded the best crop, the crop the, the 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 return of investment that you want to receive, we know that that was the good soil right where there was understanding and there yielded fruit, there was fruitfulness thirty sixty and a hundred fold and In verses 1 through 9, it's interesting because verse 1 actually starts off and says, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him. Verse 2, large crowds gathered to him. So we know Jesus is talking to a multitude, and if you see other instances where there's multitudes... I mean, you know, you, you've got houses that are full of people packed so tight people can't even get up, can't even get in the house. We're ripping roofs off to try to drop guys down to receive a healing right? Y'all remember that story? We know that there was a time Jesus was ministering to a multitude that was so large that he had to get out into a boat off the shore. They were running him off the shore. He's like, let me borrow someone's boat, get out here in the water where they can't keep coming to get to me and I can minister and I can preach and I can teach because this crowd is so large. We know another time that he he fed 5,000 people, but the 5,000 that they counted was only the men. It didn't include the women and children. We could have upwards to 15, 20,000 people in a multitude. We know that when he ministered to the multitude in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter uh, uh, 5, 6, and 7, where that's found, we know that, that there was a large multitude that had followed him out onto the side of this mountain, and he sat down to teach them. These are large crowds we're talking about i tell you what, if you have a a hard time with a large church or a large crowd, you're going to be really disappointed with heaven. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that right now. You're not going to find a corner somewhere. I don't think there's back rows in in heaven. I don't think you can slip in and slip out uh, unnoticed. I think heaven's going to be full participation, and it's going to be heaven. Amen. And it's going to be all tribes, all nations, all tongues, all nationalities, all backgrounds. And so you just... Let's just get used to it as much as we can down here. Amen? Amen. Jesus is not afraid of the crowds, and we shouldn't be either. He ministered to those crowds. But it's interesting because verse 10 says this, and the disciples, now that's not the whole crowd, okay? Disciple means a pupil, a follower, a studier. One that has assigned his life to follow in the way and the teaching of the Lord Jesus. And that's not the whole multitude. There's fans and there's followers. And, And the multitude, even though that was great to see a multitude and great to see the crowd, the crowd represents lives that can be impacted, but that does not automatically mean they are impacted. Okay? But they were disciples. We know that there were Jesus' 12 disciples. We know that there was one time he sent out 70. We know that there was a, a tight-knit group of people that, that followed Jesus to a T, that literally left everything, left homes and families and, 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 and familiarity and comfort and the conveniences of life and paychecks and, and, and went after a man that said, hey, come follow me. Let's advance the kingdom together. And we know that there were others at times that said, man, we want to get in on this. It was a rich young ruler, remember that guy? He said, how can I come and be a part of your mission? He didn't like what Jesus said, so that means he didn't follow. He actually went away sorrowful is what the Bible tells us. Not everybody followed Jesus to the degree that this man did. There was another time there were three individuals that came to Jesus and said, we want to come follow you. Let me first bury the dead. Uh, you know, let me, let me go and tell my family goodbye. And, and Jesus responded in a way that actually deterred them um, from following him, that, that they weren't completely sold out for the vision. So this group of disciples doesn't give us an exact number, but we know that this is a much smaller group than the masses. Okay, we know that this is a a, a distinct group that is set apart from this multitude crowd that has amassed in listening to him share these parables. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them? Now, that's interesting. They did not say, why do you speak to us in parables? And we saw this last week that they noticed right there, there was a distinction. Now, what's interesting about this is, is in verses 1 through 9, Jesus doesn't go any deeper in his uh, communication there. What the multitude heard is what the disciples heard. In verses 1 through 9, we know when you get down to verse. 18, it says, hear the parable of the sower. He's talking to the disciples, and he does what? He explains it to them. He goes a little deeper with them. But in verses 1 through 9, he hasn't gone any deeper with the disciples than he has with the multitude, yet the disciples say, you're talking to us different than you talking to them. Now, why is that? They heard the same thing. Today, in uh, uh, amongst this crowd, in this auditorium right now, there are some that are saying, there's more to this. And then there's maybe others that just aren't quite engaged, aren't quite locked in. I'm not going to pick you out. I, I can't tell that on the outside because ultimately, it's a posture of the heart. And I've learned this as a pastor. I can't go by what I see on the outside. I, I can't do that. Some of y'all just have mean mugs. I'm just telling you. But I've learned you're the nicest people in the world. But when you're sitting in here, I'm like, they're about to come get me off the stage right now. They look like they've fallen asleep. They look like they checked out. They look like they're doing something else. I can't judge on the outside, right? Can't judge. Sometimes I've realized that the people that look engaged are the ones that ain't getting nothing, and the people that look disconnected are the ones that are locked in. Like, man, that, that's really bearing witness with my spirit. I can't go by what I see on the outside. but But maybe you could just inform your face that you're happy. <laughs> just... Go ahead and let your face, hey, we're happy today. Go ahead and put a smile on. Eyebrows don't need to go in. They can go up. They say, hey, we're excited to be in the house of God today. Sometimes we do that in worship. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy. (laughs) You know, sometimes I do believe that outward posture reflects inward posture. You know, there's this new catchy term that's out right now called leaning in. Lean in. What that means is I'm on the edge of my seat, connected. Like, come on, I got to get some more of this, because the opposite of leaning in is slouched out. Okay. And look, I understand, man. Some, I mean, I, I'll, I'll never judge someone for falling asleep. If you're going to fall asleep in church, I just pray it's the most peaceful sleep you've ever had in your entire life. I, I believe that. I, I really do. May it, may you wake up when we're all done. Just. Man, that was a nap right there. Let it be. If it's going to be a nap, be a power nap in church. I mean, even the naps are powerful in church. Amen? Get a power nap. Amen. Because I'm ministering to your spirit anyways. I am. I'm ministering to your spirit. So if you can get it sleeping, then go ahead, man. But hey, you know, we've had people work third shift and come straight to church. You know, I remember Pastor Earl, my pastor, he was just here with us for Kingdom Rise. And, um, you know, I, I, he was working third shift at a company out in Tulsa, Oklahoma, while he was at at Bible School. And uh, he said, you know, I, I would go straight to class from, you know, get off 6 a.m., go straight to class at 8, 8.30, whenever it started. He said, if I felt tired, if I started feeling myself going out, I'd stand up in the back of the class. I'd get up from my seat. I'd sit down to check in. He had, that's how they did attendance, and then I'd get up, go to the back of the room, and I'd stand taking notes in the back, keeping myself awake, doing whatever. He, but, hey, we understand. At the end of the day, it's the spirit that we're ministering to. That's what I'm trying to say. It's, a, it's the spirit that we're ministering to. And there was a multitude spirit, and there was a disciple spirit. And they were different. They were, it was different in the posture of how they received the word, which is funny that his disciples would ask him this about this very parable because that's exactly what this parable is talking about. Your posture as you're receiving the word. That's what the parable is about. The wayside, I mean, just in one ear and out in the other. Thorny ground, received it with joy initially, it said. I mean, even our initial response here in this house doesn't determine the results that you will yield when you walk away from this house. Even the joy and the excitement and the laughter. and Oh, yes, God, that's what I've been believing for. That's what I've been seeking for. That's what I've been yearning for. Yes, that's what I need. But it's what you do with it when you go. Then there was the, the, the stony ground that, that it was the cares and the trials of the world. that I mean, We were joyful until persecution arose. And I, it's interesting because he says the persecution arose because of the word. I don't know if you knew that today. I don't have a disclaimer. I don't put that on the the glass door as you're walking through. You may receive persecution as a result of what you receive in this house today. Maybe I should post that. Maybe we should put that, give you a little disclaimer. You got to sign a waiver when you come in or something. I, I, I understand that persecution may arise in my life as a result of the word I receive in this house today. But that's what he says. And of course, there's the good soil that, 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 get, that waters it, meditates, dwells on it, stays in it, meaning that there's more work to be done with the word you receive today than me just delivering it to you. My buddy James over here, he, he coined a phrase from last week's teaching. If you remember my little DoorDash example, y'all remember the DoorDash example? He said, DoorDash Disciples. Some of us are just DoorDash disciples. I was talking about the fact that, you know, when when COVID hit and the quarantine came, that, you know, there weren't any restaurants open to go to and, and things of that nature. And so DoorDash became a regular thing in our house, and it has become. And I found out, you know, I wasn't hungry enough to prepare a meal, but I was hungry enough to DoorDash it. Because DoorDash literally requires no participation on my part except moving my thumbs I'm serious. That's all you got to do. I'm sitting on a couch watching my show uninterrupted. I don't even have to pause it. I can. Yep, Tacos too. No sour cream. Extra sour cream for my wife because she's a sour cream junkie. Okay, throwing that on there. Camden wants the quesadilla. No chicken. Cheese only. You know, I'm, I'm door dashing the whole thing. And then they come and they deliver it to your house. The only thing I have to do is get up and go to the door. Now, I remember the days, you know, it's amazing how we sink into comfort. We sink into comfort. It don't happen overnight. But I remember the days where, you know, we were so blessed to have a microwave, we didn't have to cook it on a stove. And then the, when the stove came out, there were people that were just grateful for the stove. But now the stove's too much. Now the microwave's too much. I'll open up the freezer, see something I can microwave and think, I could DoorDash this. I don't even have to pull it out, unwrap it, let it cool for a minute. They'll bring me plasticware. I don't even have to use my own silverware because that's going to be dishes later. I, I mean, you're literally thinking this. If I door dashed it, it would sink into comfort. I have not ordered a coffee in a coffee shop in I don't know how long. Because I can order it from my phone, go through the drive-thru, and pick it up. And there was, there was one time, man, I, I mean, this is just, I, I'll, I'll use myself as the example of how, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, lazy we have gotten as a society. Because, and, and for Starbucks, you can mobile order it. And I'm close enough, I have learned that if I, mo- if I order it from my driveway, by the time I get there, it's ready. I'm serious. I'm in my driveway, order my coffee, back. I got it timed. They've got it timed. They know my name, and so I go up in there. I do the same thing with good coffee downtown, you mobile order it, and it's ready when I get there. Now when I walk into a coffee shop and I have to literally stand in line to order it, I mean, it's just the most disruptive thing in my life. I'm so upset. I'm so upset. One time I mobile ordered it and Starbucks decided we're not opening inside. So I have to go through the drive-thru. Well, the drive-thru lines backed out onto the road. So I left and went somewhere else. I paid for a coffee and left it there. I'm not going to sit in a line to wait for a coffee that's already been made and you won't let me walk inside to get it. What am I saying? it's very little investment on my part but you know we, we treat the word of god this way you version replaces because it delivers the word to you you get the word door dashed to your screen verse of the day and i don't even have to go look for it i don't even have to think lord where do you where do you want what are you showing me today what do you want me to see today there's no reliance and dependence on the Holy Spirit there's no investment on my part and so we, we've we've lowered it down to this and, and that's what that's what Jesus is identifying here you got the multitude that's just they're, they're the fairweather fans on the shore but then you got the disciples that are locked in and they said you talk to them different than I said the same thing you're hearing this I said the same thing to you that I said to them but yet the disciples say why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't say, whoa, whoa, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I wouldn't treat you any different than anybody else. I wouldn't tell you, I wouldn't give you access to something that no one else has. Access. I mean, you're calling, I'm, a, I'm no respecter of persons. That's not what he says. Look what he says in verse 11. To you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom. That means secrets. That means things that are not easily revealed. If it's a mystery, that means it requires a search. You ever notice that? And the search reveals your value. I've lost things that I didn't care to lose, that I didn't care to find. So they're still lost to this day. But I've also lost things that were of high value, and I searched until I found them. You lose your keys, you find out how valuable they are. You lose something of high value in your life, and the search reveals the value. And so he says, to you it has been given, granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Now again, that's not God withholding something. Well, he just wants to keep me in the dark. He just doesn't want to tell me. No, no, no. Are you willing to search it? Are you willing to go after it? Are you willing to seek it out? Are you willing to do the work? And are you willing to do the buy-in? Are you willing to participate with the Spirit of heaven? I tell you this all the time, that the Holy Spirit is working with me to deliver the Word, and He's working with you to receive the Word if you will rely and depend upon Him. I need the Holy Spirit to deliver this message, and you need the Holy, Spirit of this mess- uh, to, uh, the Holy Spirit today to receive this message. The Bible tells us that these words are not naturally discerned. They are only spiritually discerned. The Bible tells us this. You will not understand today's word or any word that is given out of the word of God on a mere natural sense alone. It's going to require a demand of yielding to participating with, collaborating with the Holy Spirit, saying, "I receive." So Jesus is talking about the posture of their heart. Verse twelve says, "Whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away." Therefore, I speak to them in parables. I'm not speaking to them in parables just to tell cool stories, to illustrate the kingdom of God, although they they do that. We may have heard that before. Jesus ministered in parables to illustrate spiritual truths in practical, natural realities. And thank God he spoke in parables. But he's actually had another focus. He actually had another reason in speaking in parables. This is why. Because while they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. We love to talk about the revealed Word of God. But have we ever talked about the concealed Word of God? Understanding what God conceals and hides is just as important to understand as much as what He reveals and shows us. So a lot of times when it comes to the word of God, there's kind of two postures. I won't believe until I know, and I won't do until I know. That our desire to know has more value in our life than doing and believing. But yet the word of God, time and time again, calls for us as believers, as his body, to believe him and obey, regardless of what we know and understand. So this is the connection, is that if you're waiting to know, if you're waiting to understand before you believe in him and before you do and obey him, then we're actually trying to put the cart before the horse. He's looking for people that will believe without knowing, and that will obey without understanding. John chapter seven, John chapter seven puts it this way. John chapter seven and verse sixteen. John chapter 7, verse 16, in the New American, it reads this way. So Jesus answered them and said, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. So ultimately, Jesus says, man, the words that I'm giving you, and it's the same from me today. This isn't merely the words of man. This is the word of God. Now, you can receive it as a word of man. You can walk out of here and you can say, Pastor Mark said, Pastor Mark said, Pastor Mark taught, Pastor Mark showed us. But I, I'm just the mouthpiece. Even Jesus himself is, and Jesus was the word, made flesh. But even Jesus himself says, these aren't my words. This is the word from the Father. This is the word from heaven is what he's saying. This morning, I'm bringing you a word from heaven. This is not my opinion. This is not my idea. This is not my study. This is not a result of Bible school training or seminary training or or theological study or Googling something. This is the result of hearing directly from heaven, Lord, what do you have for Anchor Faith Church February 20th at 10.30 a.m. There's a word you want to deposit in their spirits and he's downloaded it to me. I'm now giving it to you from heaven. These words are not mine. These teachings are not mine. These are his word, him who sent me. And verse 17 says this, if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching. Whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. If anyone is willing to do, notice the doing precedes the knowing. But, of course, we want it the other way around. When I know, then I'll do. When I understand, then I'll obey. When it makes sense, then I'll believe. And he's saying, no, no, no. If you will be willing to do, it's the willingness. What's willingness? A posture. A posture. See, this morning, right now, you can be receiving this word with a posture of willingness to do. Or a posture of, no. And that's the posture of your heart. That's not something I have control over. I, that's not something I could ever convince you of. That's not something I could ever show you, you know, give me three or four scriptures, pastor, and then I'll be willing. No, you've got to have a posture of the heart that says, when I hear the word, I will respond quickly and obey. When that word registers with my spirit, and then when it gets in here, and I don't need to understand it, and I don't need to be explained, they don't need to go and convince me, they don't have to go through all these steps. I mean, I love Bible study. I mean, I, I, I'm a nerd when it comes to it. Bible interpretation, Bible history, the history of the Word of God itself, the history of the prophets, the history of the books of the Bible. I mean, I, I love that. I I, I love Bible school type stuff. But at the end of the day, there's not enough natural theological positioning that you could gain that will all of a sudden open your eyes and say, oh, this is the word of God. No, it's the word of God. And I've got to have a heart that says, when I hear the word ministered, yes, I'm going to uh, uh, make sure it's in context. Yes, I'm going to, I'm not just going to swallow everything that I hear and believe everything that I get. uh, There there is a, a, a firming up and shoring up of the word of God and making sure it's in context with his nature and with his character and with his revealed will and purpose throughout the word from Genesis to Revelation. Of course, we're going to have those things in place. But many times we want to believe the word and eliminate faith at the same time. Give me enough word where I don't have to use faith. What's faith? Believing in what you cannot see. Give me enough scripture so my faith will not need to be used. No, no, no. Scripture actually builds up your faith. It actually puts you further into a position. Get this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Get this, the more word I hear, the more posture of a faith stance I have to take to say, it actually moves you further away from natural reasoning, not closer to it. But on the inside, you're getting short up saying, man, this is the word of God and he will do that. He's still operating that way. He'll still do that. He's still speaking these things. He's still revealing this. He's still healing. He's still delivering. You begin to realize what God is doing, not because it all makes sense in a tangible way and it gets to your mind, but that he drops it into your spirit, a spirit and a heart that is saying, I'm willing, I'm yielded. I want to know. I want to understand. Why do you speak to them? Why do you hide? Why do you conceal? Why do you speak in such a way where we know that there's more you're trying to get to? Why not just rip the whole thing open? Why not just pour it all out in front of them? He says, I don't cast pearl before swine. Pearl something valuable before something that won't treat it as valuable. It's not the pearl's fault. It's not the sower's fault it's not the seeds fault it's the soils I've got to position myself in a way that says I value this I love the, I love the word of God I do I love the word of God Getting downloads from heaven, preparing sermons, uh, 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 you know, taking things, taking thoughts and breaking them down. And, because I, I tell you what, I cannot give it to you the way I get it. We'd be a mess if I gave it to you the way that I got it. I can't do that. But he's placed me in this role and in this capacity to hear from heaven and say, all right, Lord, give me direction how we can break this down. In a couple of weeks, I'll begin a nine-week regimen of training students in St. Augustine, Florida, in our Bible school down there. Every Sunday, I'll travel there after we do service here. One of the classes I teach is called homiletics. It's the preparation of, of sermon outlines and then the delivery of those sermons, speaking those sermons, ministering those sermons. One of my favorite classes to teach, and one of the things I tell them, one of the key ingredients that I tell them is you are going to cut more out than put in. A good speaker is not known for how much they can pack in. I remember when I first started, I had 12-point sermons. I never got to one of them. (laughs) I I never hit one point. It didn't make any sense at all. But as I've gotten better, as I've developed myself, I recognize less is more. And even though I may get a a certain revelation, I have to ask the Lord, okay, what can... They, even Jesus told his disciples, I got many more things I'd like to share with you. what did he say? You can't handle it. You can't handle the. But then what did he say? But when the Holy Spirit. Come on. You better be making a demand on the Holy Spirit in this house. I'm not that good of a speaker and you're not that good of a hearer. We both need the Holy Spirit involved in the process of delivering and revealing and showing us the living word of God that has the power to save your soul, that has the power to deliver you, that has the power to heal you. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their diseases. We need the Holy Spirit, man. None of us are good enough at this. None of us can figure this out on our own. He says, there's an us and there's a them. The Passion Translation reads John 7 uh, uh, this way. Verse 16, Jesus responded, I don't teach my own ideas, but the truth revealed to me by the one who sent me. And he was setting a standard, setting an example for every pastor, every minister of the word that would go on from beyond him. I don't teach my own ideas. I don't teach my own opinions. I don't, this is not the Pastor Mark version. This is not uh, what I think. People ask me all the time, what do you think? When you get to a level of influence and, and when you get to a level of, you know, people want to know these things. What do you think about this? What's your opinion on this matter? I tell people, I don't have an opinion. I don't. I can tell you what my king says. I'm going to do what Jesus did. I don't teach my own ideas. But I teach the the truth revealed to me by the one who sent me. And that's my position to you today and every single weekend together, every Wednesday together, every service, every kingdom rise, every opportunity I have to share the word. That's me right there. I don't teach my own ideas. But the truth revealed to me by the one who sent me. He's the revealer of truth, and I need to rely on the revealer of truth, the Holy Spirit, to live inside of me and speak through me and speak through me and teach me and show me so that I can now communicate it to you. Not my own ideas. Man, do I have ideas? Sure. Do I have opinions? Absolutely. Do I have ways that I would like it to be? Of course. Do I have agendas and plans? Absolutely. But many are the, ways in a, in a, many are the plans in a man's heart but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And I recognize that that my ideas, my plans, my agendas, mm -mm. he says, sometimes those ways are what leads to destruction. Sometimes those are the ways that lead you straight into death. So we recognize that I've been sent, I've been called, I've been chosen, And now I place value on that by never speaking my idea or opinion, but only of the one who sent me. Amen? Now look at this in the Passion Translation in verse 17. If you want to test my teachings and discover where I received them, here it is. First, be passionate to do God's will. Wow. What is that? Posture. Passion is a posture. Passion is a posture. First, first. Anybody ever asked you, hey, can you do something for me? And they're they're, kind of like, yes? What is it? Right? That's what we want to know. What? am i doing for you what is it yeah absolutely but with god he's saying Mm-mm. come to me with a yielded heart so when i ask you to do something you're already in a position to follow me now that doesn't mean that we won't put we won't position ourselves to hear words It just means we won't position ourselves to receive words. I find it interesting in in the explanation of the parable of the sower in verses 18 down through, I think it's 22, 23, when he explains it. All four cases, the one on the wayside, the thorny ground, the stony ground, and the good soil, all four cases start this way. And And when they heard, and when they heard, and when they heard, and when they heard, all four of them. They all heard the word. It's a common denominator. He can't hold you accountable for something you haven't heard. But that did not mean they all received. Again, it was the posture of the soil. And the posture here in John chapter 7, you want to know my teachings? You want to test my teachings? First, be passionate to do God's will. And then you will be able to discern if my teachings are from the heart of God or from my own opinions. Now, in this passage, he's talking to the religious leaders, who were not passionate to do God's will. They didn't have a postured heart when they came to hear Jesus. And have you ever noticed that how many times the Pharisees and Sadducees followed Jesus places? But would you would would you would you say that? the posture of the Pharisee's heart was the same as the posture of the disciples' heart? I don't think so. And and, and several times, the Word actually tells us that Jesus knew what they were thinking. He knew, you're just here to challenge me. You're just here to question me. That's why I don't debate people on the Word of God. It won't do any good with a heart that is postured in a challenging, questioning debating attitude. It won't work. If somebody really truly wants to learn, wants to grow, wants to gain understanding, even if it's something, even if it's something that we may disagree on, disagreement doesn't mean that you have to be challenging and questioning and, and have an attitude of everything you give me, I'm going to push back on. We can disagree, and then we can talk through and We both truly desire to be at the point where we understand and see the word of God together. It's the posture of the heart. Don't waste your breath. Don't waste your time. Don't don't waste your influence on people that only want to challenge and question what they already have come to a conclusion I'm in disagreement with. It it, It won't get you anywhere. Not even Jesus did that. There's many times Jesus wouldn't even respond to these guys. Many times he wouldn't even give them the time of day. There's a couple times he would highlight In the one instance where the man was lowered through the roof, that room was packed. There were people trying to get in that truly wanted to know the word of God and truly wanted to hear Jesus minister. Yet there were Pharisees and Sadducees packed in that room that were only there to challenge and question and debate Jesus and test Jesus and try to find a way to get him to slip up and make a mockery of him in front of everybody. And in that instance, when the man's lowered through the roof and he told the man, what did he say? You will forget your sins are forgiven. And he knew what they were thinking. Who is this guy thinking he can forgive sins? He says, just to show you I can forgive sins, I'm going to heal him too. You're going to see a spiritual healing and a physical healing right in front of you. Boom. Can't say nothing to that. No response. Because he knew their heart. He knew their, the posture of their heart was not yielded. The posture of their heart was not willing. The posture of their heart wasn't, I just want to know the truth and the truth will make me free. No. Posture of their heart was, let's see if we can get him to slip up. Let's test him. They were watching his every move. You know. It just goes to show not everyone that shows up, not everybody that congregates, not everybody that comes, not everybody has the right posture. And it's the posture of our heart that yields the fruit, that determines what, invest, what the investment will produce in our lives. He says, first, be passionate to do God's will. I, I, let me put it this way. Understanding can wait Obedience can't. Understanding can wait. Just go ahead and come to that conclusion in your life. I may not understand this now, but I need to respond now. Understanding, Lord, you'll reveal this to me when I need to know. You said, I couldn't give this to you because you couldn't bear it. I'm trusting you. This isn't something I can bear right now, but I am trusting you in the process, and I'm going to believe you at your word regardless of the results that I'm seeing tangibly. Understanding can wait, but obedience cannot. Let's get quick to obey. Let's get quick to obey. Now, going back to Matthew chapter 13 real quick, I need to move along. Chapter, uh, Matthew 13. And jump, I'm going to go over to the Passion guys, the Passion Translation. I'm going to look at these verses a little bit here and highlight some stuff. In verse 13, let me start with verse 13. That's why I teach the the people using parables. Because they think they're looking for truth, yet because their hearts are unteachable, they never discover it. That makes it pretty plain, right? They think they're looking for truth. We can't even think that we're looking for truth. But again, if the posture of my heart is to challenge and question, then I'm not really looking for truth. You think about Saul on the road to Damascus. You know, Saul thought he was doing the Lord's work. I love what Pastor Earl said a couple nights ago, if you were here for Kingdom Rise, he said Saul wasn't serving two different gods. When he was going to put Christians in prison, he thought he was serving God. Then he got face-to-face confronted with Jesus himself on the road to Damascus and found out that's not God's intent. That's not God's will. That's not God's plan. I want to get in line with his plan. That's ultimately what that was. He didn't change God's. But ultimately, we know Jesus said, you're pushing against the goads. You're you're actually resisting my plan and and pushing on my plan rather than aligning with my plan. So Jesus says, that's why I teach the people in parables. They think they're looking for truth, yet because their hearts are unteachable, they never discover it. Although they will listen to me, they will never fully perceive the message that I speak. Verse 14 says, the prophet The prophecy of Isaiah. Everyone say Isaiah. The prophecy of Isaiah describes them perfectly. What does he say? What does Isaiah say? Although they listen carefully to everything I speak. Okay? Again, it's not natural intent. It's heart intent. I can naturally lean in, but not with the right heart. I got to take care of this on the inside. Although they listen carefully to everything I speak, they don't understand a thing I say. They look and pretend to see, but the eyes of their hearts are closed. Their minds are dull and slow to perceive. Their ears are plugged and are hard of hearing, and they have deliberately shut their eyes to the truth. Now, on the flip side, watch this. Otherwise, they would open their eyes to see, and they would open their ears to hear. They would open their minds to understand. Then they would turn to me, and I would instantly heal them. What's he saying? If you have the right posture, it's amazing what God can perform in your life. It's amazing how quickly he can perform some things. It's amazing how quickly he can move. It's amazing how quickly things can start showing up and getting in alignment when you say, I've got the right heart, I've got the ears to hear, the eyes to see, and a mind that is ready to receive. I pray that over you. Now, I can't pray that for you, but I pray that over you. If Jesus didn't have the ability to control people's minds and control uh, uh, what they thought and their passions and their intentions, then neither can I. Jesus controlled storms. He rebuked devils. He raised dead people. I mean, he did some amazing miracles, but the one thing he could not do is cause someone to change their thinking change their mind, and have a receptive heart. He couldn't do it. But I pray it over you. Father, I pray today that the people come to the house of God with ears ready to hear, with eyes ready to see, with a mind that is receptive and a heart that is responsive. That's what I pray every single Sunday, every single weekend, every single time I minister. May they have ears to hear, eyes to see, your mind and your heart. Those four areas, eyes, ears, mind, and heart but I can't do that for you. I just pray that there'd be a softening. I pray that there'd be a yieldedness. I pray that you would come with the intention, I just want to hear the word of God and then act on it and put it into practice. Not be hearers only, being doers of the word. He says that I would instantly heal them. God can work in a yielded heart much quicker than he can in a stubborn heart. And I'll go ahead and tell you this, Ultimately, guys, ultimately, every time you hear the word, depending on the posture of your heart when you hear it, you're only going to continue that course from that point on. What I mean is if you have a heart that is yielded and softened when you hear the word, it'll make you more pliable. But if you have a hardened heart when you hear the word, it will only harden it further. If you remember Pharaoh, he told Moses to keep going. I've, I know he will have a hardened heart, but I need to get him to the point where I have to interject and I have to perform my will regardless. But he knew every time Moses goes before Pharaoh, his heart's going to get a little harder and a little harder and a little harder and a little harder. He's going to reject me more. He's going to resist me more. And so this is the thing. The posture of the heart that you come in with when I bring the word, unless something shows up that just softens and says, man, I got to break that off and that's only the Holy Spirit, I can't do that. Then you will walk out in a greater state of what you were when you came in. If you came in soft and pliable and teachable, then you're gonna gonna walk out of here ready ready to respond. If you come in hardened, what's that preacher man gotta say today? Is he gonna, see, I mean, I can either preach what you Want me to preach what you, want to, what you want to know or what you need to know? And, man, I, I, I don't care if they start off with the verse that I've heard a million times. I don't care if it's a speaker. I mean, my wife and I the, the, this evening, we'll fly out to Tulsa, Oklahoma to go back home to, to, to Ramah Bible Training Center uh, for their winter Bible seminar all week. And when I get under those speakers, I mean, I've heard them. Thousands of times, man, and when I get under there, I mean, I am soaking it up. Get me as close as I can. Get me a pen and a notepad. Get me a Bible, and and I'm and I'm not going just oh yes that guy again. Oh he was yeah he was one of my teachers. You know it, that attitude is just not going to work. It's a waste of a flight. It's a waste of a hotel. It's a waste of a trip. It's a it's a waste of time. Now, when I get up under the word, I want to be pliable. I want to be yielded. I want to be moldable. I want to be. I want to say, God, show me something I've never seen before, blow my mind today. That's what. That's what. That's the posture of heart that you want to have. He said, "I would instantly heal them." Now, this. Prophecy of Isaiah. It's actually referred to two more times in the Bible. This same prophecy, they have ears to hear and don't hear, eyes to see and don't see. So let's look at these. John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 36. We'll wrap this up here. Amen. God is so good. I think I said this last week, but, you know, we say it a lot around here. You become responsible and accountable for the word that you hear, right? And it's actually the mercy of God that he keeps some things concealed until you're ready to be held accountable for it. When he says they have eyes to see but don't see and they have ears to hear and don't hear, it's actually the mercy of God saying, ah, if they get a hold of this, it's going to make them responsible. I know they're not in a place ready to respond, in a place ready to yield. I'm going to resist. And so, again, I think I said this last week, if you're studying the word and you're just not getting insight, you're not getting the depth, man, move on to the next thing because you come back to it a year or two later and it will open up and be like, now I understand. Now And now I'm ready to yield to that enemy would love to discourage you with that book he would he would love to discourage you with I don't understand it it's confusing it doesn't make any sense it will but you got to start where you're at start where you're at apply what you know sometimes we find ourselves wanting to know the next thing and we're not even doing the now thing Do what you know and watch what he'll reveal to you. John chapter 12, starting with verse 36. When you have the light, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke and then he went away and hid himself. There he goes, concealing again. Look at verse 37. Though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. Isn't that amazing? Guys, if we don't have the right posture of heart, we will literally see the word of God being in operation right before our very eyes and not respond to it. Yet they were not believing in him. That is, that's crazy. And you know he was performing some signs. I have it in my notes, and I'm not going to go there fully, but you know Mark chapter 6 when Jesus goes back to Nazareth. You could just jot it down, Mark chapter 6, give you some homework to do. Goes back to Nazareth, goes to his hometown. They hear him minister. They hear the powerful words of authority he gives. They even say, Who is the, where does he get the power to perform these signs and wonders? So they saw miracles. They literally saw him perform miracles, signs and wonders. And then it says they did not believe on him. They were actually offended at him is what it says. And he could do no mighty work there except heal a few sick people. It's the only account that we have where Jesus did not heal everybody he came into contact with. Posture of heart. They said, isn't this Mary's son? Don't we know his brothers and sisters? Isn't this the carpenter's kid? We know this guy, posture of heart, in the face of miracles, signs, wonders. See, I love miracles, signs and wonders, man. I love seeing God demonstrate heaven. I love seeing see him do things that only God can do. I love those things, but sometimes we put too much stock in it. Oh, if we just saw one deaf ear open, the the, the masses would come. They might come to watch a show, but they wouldn't come to get saved. Now, it gives them the opportunity to get saved. Kenneth Hagin called miracles the dinner bell of salvation. Miracles are happening. God is real. God is alive. He wants to deliver you. He wants to save you. But you still have to make the decision in your heart. I'm going to follow him and be a disciple. Thankful for miracles, signs, and wonders. I believe we're walking in days where we're going to see them take place again. But understand that that's not what delivers people. That's not what saves people. That just gives them an opportunity to say, God is real. God is alive. Look at his work and demonstration. Look at his power and operation. Listen to those words as boldly and authoritatively communicated as they are. But they still have to reconcile with You know, we could have miracles happen here. And somebody might say, in Valdosta? Not in Valdosta. God's forgotten about Valdosta. You might see someone come down here and have a miracle performed in their life, and you might know their past and their history. You might say, what? They're not following God. I know what they've done. I know where they've been. There's all kinds of things that can show up that the miracle, the sign, the wonder doesn't have the power to change a heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And it's changed hearts that change people. He had performed many signs before them, yet they were not believing. Watch this, verse 38. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He's quoting the same prophecy of Isaiah that he was talking about in Matthew chapter 13. For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted. And I heal them. Healing In the body starts with a position of the heart. Reading it in the Passion Translation, verse 37, verse 37, even with the overwhelming evidence of all the many signs and wonders that Jesus had performed in front of them, his critics still refused to believe. His critics still refused to believe. There's a term, maybe you're familiar, it's called predisposition. Predisposition. I looked up this word predisposition. It means a liability or tendency to act in a certain manner or hold a particular attitude. It means a liability or tendency to act in a certain manner or hold a particular attitude. The word predisposed gives us a little further insight. To make someone liable or inclined to a specific attitude, action, or condition. To make someone liable or inclined to a specific attitude, action, or condition. In essence, a predisposition is a coming to a conclusion or coming to a certain reasoning before you have even heard. You already know where you're going to end up. You start out. And this is what I've recognized in society. And I thought that word that he used here in in the Passion Translation was really interesting. His critics still believe. There is such a high level of a critical spirit in our world today. Everything is criticized. I was realizing this a couple weeks ago. I love ESPN. I love sports. We're, we're a sports family. I mean, that's just you know that's just something that we love. And so you know, I but the, I can't even watch or listen to ESPN anymore because they're so critical all the time. They're always criticizing owners, criticizing GMs, criticizing organizations, criticizing athletes, criticizing, criticizing. They're just so critical, even when they it's crazy. Even when they try to build someone up, there's overtones of criticism in it. There's always a slap back at the end, or there's always just some kind of tone of, we can't get you too big. I remember when Tim Tebow was making his rise. We were living in St. Augustine. He's from St. Augustine. And we're watching, you know, and they're, they're at his high school games. We went to a few of those games and, 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 and watching him perform. And I remember somebody said, this, you know, they watched, watched this about Tim Tebow. They will build him up only to tear him down. It's the nature of our society. We are so critical. And I'm sorry, sometimes I just have this thought. You are a media relations person. Nobody asked you for your opinion. And what gave you the right to sit behind a microphone with millions of people listening to you, spewing your opinion on the matter? Why don't I get to do that? I'll start a podcast. I'll start a radio station. I mean, what what have you earned? What gives you the right? Now, I know, I mean, you want to be excellent in media just as an athlete wants to be excellent at their sport. But to hear a media person cutting down and criticizing an athlete that has given their time, dedicated their body, dedicated, I mean, the, the sacrifices uh, uh, that they make, um, I, I've, I've had an opportunity to get close to some professional athletes, and you don't know half of what they endure and go through to put their body to perform and give us entertainment is what they do for a living. And I'm sure there's, yes, there's a plenty of athletes that do stupid things that are, are critical of, yes. But, but there's just, a, just critical undertones to everything that comes across. You know what? Just give the news. I'll come to my own opinion. I'll come to my own whether I think he's wrong, whether I think he's right, whether he should be on this team, whether he should be, whether he's just all about the money or he really wants to. Let me make the. You just give me the news, I'll come to my own conclusion. I don't need you to give me your critical undertones, but it creates a spirit. It happens in politics, it happens in the news, it it happens everywhere. There's just criticism of everything. But here's the thing criticism doesn't stop with criticism, criticism breeds cynicism. Now I become cynical about it. When I'm criticizing Jesus, now I become cynical. Who is this man? Isn't this Mary's son? That started with criticism. He's from Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Who gave him the right to go around performing all these miracles? And then cynicism breeds pessimism. So now you have this negative outlook on life. With everything you do and everything that anybody does, it's always presented. You have a predisposition in your life of negativity. And guess what? They bring it into church too. I mean, not you, not you today. I'm saying they, other people, other than you. Now, I think sometimes we can be found guilty of bringing predisposed ideas even into the house of God, whether of things naturally, Anchor Faith Church, Pastor Mark, the staff, or whether of the word of God itself. That didn't work before. My grandma believed and she didn't get healed. Why am I going through all this brokenness? Why is my marriage a wreck? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? You come in with critical, cynical, pessimistic. What kind of posture is that for the word to be ministered? What kind of posture is that to be receiving the seed of the word of God and expecting a harvest? And this is the thing, guys. If we are content with little investment, we can't be discontent with little results. If we're going to be content putting little in, then you can't be discontent when you get little out. But God in his mercy keeps giving us chances time and time again, delivering us the word time and time again. How we gotta move. Verse 38 there in John chapter 12, let's get through this. This fulfilled the prophecy given by Isaiah. Lord, who has believed our message? Who has seen the unveiling of your great power and the people who are not able to believe? For Isaiah also prophesied. God has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts to the truth. So with their eyes and hearts closed, they cannot understand the truth, nor turn to me so that I could instantly cleanse and heal them. Isn't that amazing? The last passage that I want to show you where we see this prophecy once again revealed is actually in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, I want to start with verse 16. Let's just get to the Passion Translation. Show it to you here. Worship team, y'all can go ahead and come on up. And Romans chapter 10. Start with verse 16 in the Passion. But not everyone welcomes the good news, as Isaiah said. Lord, is there anyone who hears, believes our message? Remember, I told you last week that these... Old prophets in the Old Testament, toward the end, there, uh, you know, uh, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel. A lot of these guys were given the horrible assignment of delivering God's word with the promise that no one would receive. What 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 a what an environment to have to deliver the word in hostile, negative, discounting, discrediting, not believing, not receiving, not open. So Isaiah's like, will anyone believe? Can I just get one believer? I mean, these guys were tormented, beaten, thrown in pits, left for dead. I mean, it was awful. And Jesus told them ahead of time, they're not gonna receive anything you say. Lord, is there anyone who hears and believes our message? Verse 17, faith then, this is the passage faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Listen to it in the Passion. Faith then is birth in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the anointed one. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? Faith then is birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the anointed one. Man, I love that. Can it be that Israel hasn't heard the message? No, they have heard it. For the voice has been heard throughout the world and its message has gone to the ends of the earth. So again, I ask, didn't Israel already understand that God's message was for others as well as for themselves? Yes, they certainly understand. For Moses was the first to state it. I will make you jealous of a people who are nobodies. I will use people with no understanding to provoke you to anger and Isaiah the fearless prophet dared to declare those who found me weren't even seeking me I manifested myself before those who weren't even asking to know me yet regarding Israel Isaiah says this with love I have held out my hands day after day offering myself to this unbelieving and stubborn people He's saying, I am revealing myself to people that don't need to know, that don't need to understand, that aren't waiting until it all makes sense before they take one step of faith. I'm revealing myself and moving in people's lives that have a posture willing to do. God's will, that are saying, I want to receive your word so I can do your word. I can perform your word. I can participate with heaven. I can bring your kingdom and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It doesn't make sense. My life may be a wreck. I may still be challenged with this and struggling with that, but I'm going to believe you at your word. This church is an example and a testimony of this. I'm going to share something here with our family. I want to ask, is it Nautilus Junior? All, if you have a child in a classroom, I'm asking that one parent, one parent, we don't need to do this crowded. This is going to be a little different. We're going to do this as a family today. If you have a child, babies all the way through our fifth graders, I'm asking one parent to please go ahead and grab your child and bring them back into this sanctuary. We are not going to do what we're going to do next until you receive your child and you come back here. We don't do this every week, but we're doing it today. Because what we're going to do today is going to be done as a family. What we're going to do today is going to be done together. Hallelujah. Because the Spirit of God is moving. The Spirit of God is doing things. What I love about this passage is He keeps coming. He keeps bringing the Word to you with our stubborn little hearts and our unbelieving minds and the limited cognitive capacity and, and our natural human reasoning that we try to reduce things to. He keeps bringing the Word out of His mercy and out of His grace. He hasn't given up. He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't given up on Valdosta. He hasn't given up on Lounge. And he's doing things in our midst. Miracles, signs, and wonders are happening right before you. And he's proving and he's demonstrating, I am good. I am great. I am mighty. I am still moving. I am still working. And there is work to do in Valdosta, Georgia, guys. There is work to do in Lowndes County. There is work to do in the Southeast. And the Southeast is known to be stubborn a little bit. The Southeast is known to get my way or the highway a little bit. The Southeast is known to be a little denominational and a little humanistic and a little natural and tangible, but that's breaking. Barriers are breaking. In the spirit, barriers are breaking and he's gonna continue to come. He's gonna continue to come. He's gonna continue to come and say, here's my word, will you believe it? Here's my word, will you stand on? Here's my word. Will you receive it with an open heart and an open mind? Hallelujah. As the parents are coming, as they're receiving their children, can we just just close your eyes right where you're at? Just invite the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, we we welcome you in this moment. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this moment. Flood this place, fill this atmosphere. Let the Spirit of God fill every crevice, every crack, every opening. Be receptive. Be responsive. Be yielded. Be yielded. Be yielded to the Spirit of God. Be yielded to the move of God. It's only weird for those who aren't making that a habit in their lives, but make a habit of being yielded to the Spirit of God. Make a habit today. Start a new habit today. I won't be stubborn. I won't be unbelieving. I won't find myself critical. Why'd they do it that way? Why'd they go there? Why does it sound like that? Why does it look like that? No. Holy Spirit, we yield to what you're doing. Holy Spirit, we work with you.